series Fearless this morning, and there for a moment because I looked at my timer here and and it said that I had an hour and 25 minutes to talk to you. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I could say a lot. <laughs> and uh, then I fixed it. So be not, <laughs> let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Amen. So we are fearless, fearless this morning. We're, we're launching into this series and we're, we're talking about how God has released us to live a life that's not plagued with unhealthy fears. Unhealthy fears. In our house right now, um, we're having a discussion. A lot of you seem to be very concerned about us being able to survive the winter. Uh, I didn't realize that wearing a long sleeve t-shirt and pants would cause so much discussion at the picnic. Um, and, and it did. And then I made the mistake of posting a picture of the fire in our living room because, yes, we turned on the fire. Uh, and and uh, that caused some disturbance on Facebook. And so uh, I want you to know that we're installing a heater right above the stage. And, um, and, and I rolled up my sleeves just so you know I was cool enough in here and we were, we were okay. But... Uh, <laughs> But we are, our family's walking fearlessly into the winter, and we're going to go buy parkas. So it's good. Uh, this morning, we want to put fear into the proper context of life. How, how should we be looking at this thing called the spirit of fear? At issue is your ability to work and function in a way that benefits your life and the kingdom of God. It's not just about how you're walking and, and how you're, it's not just about what you're doing, it's about how effective you are in what you're doing. And, and so that's what we're trying to break down. Everyone has divinity or divinely entrusted gifts placed into their lives. Your, your gifts are different than my gifts and mine are different than yours. But you can identify the gifts in your life by recognizing those things that you are naturally drawn toward, those things that you are naturally uh, gifted for or skilled for, those things that you are divinely empowered to do. There are things that you just are able to do that when other people watch you do it, they say, how can they possibly do that? And you just think it's the easiest and most natural thing in the world. But, but it's because you are gifted for that. In Scripture, there are a number of different gifts that are defined. You have the gift of administration. You have the gift of apostleship. You have the gift of discernment and faith. And you have the gift of knowledge or miracles or prophecy or tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the, the gift of wisdom and evangelism, the gift of pastoring prophet, prophecy, and even the gift of generosity. All of these are, are talked about in Scripture. And when we think about the gifts, oftentimes we think about them within the context of how they're used in the church. Even maybe how they're used within the four walls that we are in right now. But I would, I would propose today that it, the gifts that you have in life are probably better realized even in the daily life that you live outside of the context of the church. You are the church. So how can you be outside of the context of the church? You're always going to be part of the church, but outside of these four walls. And I think about it this way. What, the, the parent, the parent that knows 
that their child suddenly knows that their child needs a particular type of attention. Maybe they're not even in the room, but they just, something happens in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit, and they say, I know I need to talk to them about something. That might be the gift of knowledge at work in that parent's life. Or maybe you have through uh, the business person that can recognize a bad deal. Everything, everything on the surface looks good, but somehow this business person knows this isn't the right deal for us. That could be discernment at work. Or maybe it's the person who knows that everything around them is in total disarray. But somehow they are equally certain that everything's going to work out okay. That could be the gift of faith at work. Or some of you have this gift. You can walk into a chaotic situation. Total chaos going on. And you can bring order. My wife can do that. I, I walk into a room and, and you know, there's clothes over here and there's junk over there and there's trash over here. And I won't mention which room, but it's, it's there. And when I walk in, suddenly I just see my, my vision goes blurry. My head starts to hurt. I, 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 don't, see, I don't see how is this possible we might as well just cut this room out of the house entirely and just get rid of it. And she walks in there and starts doing something, and within a few moments, it's completely clean. And it looks beautiful. That's the gift of administration. I do it with people. I can't do it with stuff. Somehow, I don't know, I didn't get that gift. So here's our big point today. The enemies of your soul are afraid of your gifts. Now, when I say enemies of the soul, what am I talking about? I'm talking about your carnal nature. Three main big enemies. I don't have time to go into all of them in detail right now, but your your carnal nature is one of them. That thing that leads you astray. The, The Secondly is the world systems around us. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world systems aren't getting more holy. And then thirdly, the demonic realm. So three enemies of your soul, they are afraid of your gifts. Why? Because your gifts are God's tools for developing His kingdom. It's through your gifts that you're able to worship God. It's through your gifts that we fulfill His great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to baptize those, to to love on one another, to to reach the world around us, to, to show God's grace and love to one another, even in this congregation. It's, it's through our gifts that we accomplish these things. So if God uses our gifts to build His kingdom, and if God uses His our gifts to bless the people in our world, and, and if God uses our gifts to kind of mess up the plans of the enemy then in reality, the gifts of God working in your life are literally the weapons that God has to use against the enemy's plans. March 16th, 2017, a Washington Post headline read this. It said, drugs are killing so many people in Ohio, 
I think, do we not have that up there? Drugs are killing so many people in Ohio that cold storage trailers are being used as morgues. That's not the will of God for Ohio. That's not even your will or mine for this state. But it's the reality that we live in. And not anybody can just walk into that situation and fix it if we're ever going to make headway against that demonic presence. It will be because a gifted person uses the gifts that God has blessed them with to become effective against that issue. It's that way against drugs and with drugs, but it's the same in every single area of the kingdom of God. If a child is going to know about Jesus, it's going to be because a gifted person says, yes, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and teach a child. I'm gifted in a way that I can communicate with a young student and tell them how it is they can become an adult that loves Jesus Christ and can live a good life in Christ and through Christ. If your neighbor is going to know anything about Jesus, it's going to be God using your gifts to show Himself, to reveal Himself to your neighbor through you. We cannot allow unnecessary fears to stop us from using our gifts. What are unnecessary fears? Unnecessary fears are those that will not help us and limit our effectiveness. They don't help us, and they limit the effectiveness of our lives. Sometimes those unnecessary fears come in the form of of fear over things that are unlikely to happen. Or or, uh, large amounts of fear over very small things. I know a young man who went to his father one day and asked him for gas money. He'd asked him for gas money many times, but this time when the father took out his wallet and gave him a $10 bill, the young man noticed that his father didn't have any other dollar bills in his wallet. And as he drove to the gas station, he began to think, I wonder if my father just gave me his last $10 in the world. I wonder if he loves me so much he wants me to have a good time. And so he gives me money, but now he's worried about how he's going to buy food for the day. And for days, that young man struggled with the fear of loss, of something going wrong in his family, of there being poverty there. Something, something. when he talked to his father, his father said, no, everything's fine. Unnecessary fears. I know one person that has to, had to touch every door and every window of the house before they could leave. They couldn't have any fun outside of the house until they had touched every window and every door because fear would not allow them to relax until they knew the place was secure. There was no, there was no mental illness issues. There was nothing. It was just simply fear. I'm talking about some pretty big but in some, maybe some, in your mind, some extreme things, but that fear can hinder you and it can hinder me. Paul said to Timothy, we need your gifts to be operational, so stir them up. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gifts of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said, your gifts are for a purpose, so use them. 
And he also said your gifts are given relationally, not contractually. This is how somebody can be gifted to do something great for the kingdom of God, then turn around and use that gift for, for things that only hell would appreciate, and yet their gift is not taken away from them. There's no contract involved. God says, I give it to you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Hmm. So each of our gifts brings unique opportunities and unique responsibilities. The opportunities of the gift of administration might be that you get promoted up into management. The, the, the opportunity for one who might be an apostle. You may be able to be an entrepreneur and start a business in some manner. That's an apostolic anointing. But the responsibility is equal. You must know where and when and how to use your gift concerning both. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I want you to know that the people who prophesy are in control of the spirit that they are operating in. That means that while we may not be able to control the outcome, we can always control the engagement of our gift. That means we don't have to say everything that comes to our mind. Use the gift of wisdom along with the gift of knowledge. It means that we're in control of that. So I have three main thoughts for us today. And the first thought is this. The spirit of fear is the most effective weapon against your giftings. It's easy to keep something from starting. It's hard to stop something that's already moving. Hard to stop momentum once it's going. That's why, as soon as you decide, I'm going to do something. You know what? I'm going to volunteer to teach in kids' ministry. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I've got a gift. I can use it. I can be effective and raise a child in the way that they should go. I'm excited about that. And instantly, fear rises up in you. You weren't scared two seconds ago. But now that you've made that commitment in your heart, now all of a sudden you're going, Oh, God, what have I done? They're going to take my whole life. I'm never going to see my family again. I'll, I'll be 97 before I leave kids' ministry. This is never going to work out. You're laughing because you've thought those very thoughts. <laughs> fear rises up. But here's the good news. Fear is a spiritual issue. You say, how is it a good, good news that this type of fear is a spiritual issue? Paul says it's the spirit of fear, not the natural fear. Natural fear says I'm not going to jump off this because I might break my leg. That's good. That's God-given. But this spirit of fear is that thing that's trying to keep you from fulfilling your calling in Christ by giving you these unnecessary, unwarranted fears. And so here, here's why it's good news. Romans 8.15 You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when He adopted you as His own children so we can call Him Abba Father. So, Christ came to, to, to bring freedom in our life. Truth, the Scripture tells us, sets us free. So if Christ and truth bring freedom, then anything that brings bondage into our life is not from God. And if it's not from God, then we have authority to refuse it. 
In fact, the Bible says in Mark 16, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. Now, we're, ta- we're, we're dealing with different uh, gifts and different things like that, and I understand that. But look beyond, the rea- the, the, look beyond just what it's literally saying and look into the concept there. He's saying here are spiritual issues that you have the authority and the ability to deal with. I'm telling you this morning that if you are dealing with a spirit of fear, you don't have to be bound by it. You can take authority over it. Take authority over it. Because if you don't, the spirit of fear will control you. And that's thought number two. The spirit of fear is controlling. The spirit of fear controls by selling false false value in a life of avoidance. Adam is in the garden. I'm excited about this because I hope I'm going to help somebody right now. Adam's in the garden. And he fails in the garden. You know the story. He ate the apple. We know it's a fruit. Everybody says it's an apple. I don't have a clue if it's an apple or not. I like apples, so I feel bad for him. And, and he takes the fruit and he eats it as Eve gives it to him. And he fails. He falls. And then he hears God walking in the garden. And the Bible says that he hid himself. And God says, hey, where are you? And Adam says, I'm over here. You see, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Fear caused him to avoid God. Until God made it impossible for him to avoid him any longer. Now, here's a thought. This is pre-law. The Mosaic law has not yet been written. Moses has not received the Ten Commandments. He has not written the law. And at this point, it's all relational. And now we have a moment when God is saying, hey, here I am. Now, let's go post-law for a few minutes. Let's look at the life of King David. King David committed adultery. And then followed that up with the big one of murder. And God looks at David. And through the prophet Nathan says, you did this. And David falls down and he repents before God. Now the law that he was working under said that David should have been stoned to death for both of those things. And yet God said, I'm going to forgive you for this. And I'm going to continue to let you live. Here's a hypothetical. I don't know the answer to this question. But what if Adam had sought repentance instead of avoided the situation? No law saying he had to die. No, I know God had said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. But does it mean that there would be a complete separation. I don't know what God would have done. I know that God didn't kill David when he should have died. What in your life have you been avoiding and putting off? What hard conversations and hard situations? What, what hard relationships have you been avoiding and instead of addressing them, how, how would your life be bettered if you would stop avoiding the things that are struggles and are d- difficult for you? 
Could it be that you are afraid to hear what the doctor says so you just don't go? But you could be living a life of wholeness and wellness. Could it be that you don't want to have that discussion with your boss, but if you did, you'd actually get the raise that you deserve? Could it be that there's that, that thing inside that says, I want to start a company, I want to start a business, I have a, a vision and a dream, but I'm, I'm afraid to talk to people about potentially helping me with that. A life of avoidance. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to do it just yet. I want to avoid that opportunity. The spirit of fear also controls by convincing us to submit to those we shouldn't. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, he says, Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. The threats cause us to worry. The threats cause us to fear. The threats sometimes cause us to submit to things that we shouldn't. Fear causes people to submit to things like peer pressure and social pressure of all kinds. Can I say this? And if you don't get anything else I say today, get this. Write it down. Take a picture of the screen. Whatever you need to do to remember it. Never allow things that don't matter to affect things that do. We, we, will, we will destroy lifelong relationships for a moment's pleasure. We talked about drugs a moment ago. Some people just try it one time just to make people that they don't even know happy. Just make people think that they're cool for just a second. You'll be a lot cooler when your life is together in 15 years. Don't allow things that don't matter to affect the things that do. Because through Jesus, we have been released from the power that that spirit of fear could have over us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now, why is that power of death so important? Verse 15, only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. It was the fear of death that caused people to be in bondage. The fear of death isn't only the fear of physical death. It's the fear of the death of relationships, the death of opportunities, the death of many things. This is why those people on late night TV tell you that there is only 15 of these products left. And if you call in the next three minutes, they're going to give you this wonderful deal. Now, you know there's a million and a half of them sitting in warehouses around the country. And you know if you wait long enough, you'll walk through the as seen on TV aisle and you'll see it for half of what they're selling it for right now. But what they're trying to do is tell you if you don't do it now, you'll never get it at all. So get there in the next three minutes. Call this number. We're going to be there for you. We're going to make sure that you're not the one losing the opportunity for that fancy schmancy fidget spinner. <laughs> one concept that I cannot understand but has made millions of dollars. But when the fear is gone, that sense of loss is gone, 
then that anxiety is gone. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You are the boss of you. Oh, I know that that's really simple, but it's true. Refuse that fear. Thought number three, God's love is the only answer to the spirit of fear. There are moments when each of us are susceptible to believing the lies of that spirit. Maybe it's when we feel powerless. We, we, used, to be, we used to be powerful, or, but now we feel like we're not. And sometimes if you, if you go look at the bully at the school, you'll find out that the bully is actually being abused at home. And he's powerless, or she's powerless over here, so she takes out her, her desire for power and control in a way that she can or he can. Or maybe when it's, we don't feel loved. We were loving, we were kind, but now we've been rejected and rejection hurts, and so now we're saying, ah, I can't do that again. Maybe we're trying to make a hard decision and, and we don't feel like we know what's going on. And so we, we start trying to impose our will upon everything in our life. And the reality is we're really scared that we don't know anything. The problem is we will all feel that way at some point. It won't be that we're unloved or that we are powerless or that we don't know anything. It will just be that we feel that way. I've sat in the middle of my living room surrounded by people who loved me desperately and felt all alone. And when you feel alone, it changes how you relate to things. But this is what the Scripture tells us. 1 John 4. Such love has no fear. Musicians come. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. The key to refusing or kicking out or displacing that fear in your life is to wrap yourself in something bigger than that fear. And that is the love of Christ Jesus. When we bring that moment of fear... When we say, God, I'm afraid right now, and I need you to, to help me. I need you to wrap me in your love. And He begins to put His arms around us. And we begin to feel Him close. Then suddenly we can love just as we are loved. And, and we can be powerful in ourselves as He is powerful through us. We can, we can make good decisions as His wisdom becomes our reality. But we have to make that choice. We have to decide, will we operate in fear or will we operate in his love? I encourage you to stop listening to that voice that says you can't, you won't, you're a failure. I encourage you to listen to the voice that says I love you, I created you. And you can do all things through me. That's the voice of your loving Savior. I encourage you this morning. Whatever place you're in, whatever state of life you're in, I ask you just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. 
And I would ask you to just say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me through this sermon? Maybe you don't see yourself in a place of fear. Praise God for that. But knowing how to handle it when it arrives will be a benefit and a blessing to you. Maybe you are in a place of fear right now. It's time for you to do something about that. You're not a victim here. You don't have to be a victim. You can stand up and take authority and say, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. Jesus didn't just say, the scripture rather didn't just tell us that he did not give us a spirit of fear. That's the not. That's what we don't have. But in the next several weeks, we'll, say, we'll talk about what he did give us. And that's the spirit of love. That's the spirit of power. And that's the spirit of a sound mind. And we're going to unpack those. So Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us right now? We're asking you to teach us and to lead us. We refuse a spirit of fear today. Give us the wisdom to see where it's impacting our lives and our families, our jobs, our church. And help us to walk in the confidence that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen.